Will you bow your heads with me as we, as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the children that we have in this church. We thank you for their parents and their willingness and desire to bring them here so that they could learn about you in community with others. And so our prayer is that you would teach us to be faithful stewards of faith as we pass that on to the next generation. More than anything, Lord, we ask, because we know that children learn their patterns and behaviors from us as adults. We ask that as we talk about a subject that we know how to talk about really well this morning, but the actual practice of it is a lot harder, we ask that you would help us to focus on what this message means to each one of us and not what another person needs to hear about it. And so we ask that you would teach us humility now so that what we do with our actions and how we speak with our words, that they would truly bring honor and glory to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I remember when I was in high school, I lived two doors down from me was another one of my friends named Adrian. And he was, I've known him longer than I've known any other friend. So they lived two doors down. We grew up together. Sometimes his mom would babysit me. Sometimes my mom would babysit him. And it was just one of those things where, as a neighborhood, you just know everyone on your street. I was fortunate enough to be able to live in the same house until I went to college. My parents still live there. My friend's parents still live there. There's a lot of the parents that still live there. So for us, we were fortunate enough to have that kind of community that familial type of being raised by those who are around you and your friends and your parent and your friends' parents. And, you know, back then, they, you know, they could scold you if you weren't being so good. But I remember going over to his house all the time, and we would play sports. We would either play football or soccer or baseball. But when we were in high school, they put up a basketball hoop in his driveway, And so we would go over there, and especially on the summers, all of the friends would go over to his house, because that's just the meeting place that we had, and we would go over there, and we would have either one-on-one tournaments or two-on-two tournaments. Now, this wasn't a very big driveway. It really was really, it was was like a normal size from back in the day, because I know now they're a lot smaller, but we would play there. And so I'm really competitive, and I don't know if that's ever come across, and anytime we've played like men versus women's Jeopardy. I try, to take it, I try to take it down a notch at church because I know people might judge me. But I'm super competitive. Like, I just do not like to lose. And so I remember I was playing, and it was a really tight game, and it was one-on-one. Or actually, it was two-on-two. And I remember there was this one part where there was a three-point line. It wasn't really a three-pointer, but that's just how we played. And I remember it was my friend Peter. He went up to shoot the ball, and he was as far back right next to the garage. So, you know, the garage was right behind him. He was right behind the line. And as he went up, I ran up as hard as I could, and I just went up, and I just smacked the ball. I mean, as hard as I could because I was pumped, right? And it felt awesome for half a second until, because of the force of my muscles back then, I heard a loud clanking like a shattering of a garage window. You know those little windows? Yeah, and I remember, like, in that moment, I thought to myself, at this point, I don't think my parents are going to care if I explain to them how my heroics stopped this guy from winning the game. 
Because it would cost $100, I think, to fix that little pane. Because it wasn't just the glass. The full force of my strength is that it broke the plastic, you know, the plastic design. And I remember I, I just thought to myself, I said, oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. Because I didn't really have money. Um, and so I knew my parents were going to have to pay for this. And I just remember kind of standing there. And it put a damper on the rest of the, the game. I think we still played. His parents were cool about it. They said, you guys can pay it. It's not a big deal. Uh, my parents paid it, and, and we were done with it. But, you know, that moment, there was a decision that had to be made. Either my friend's parents were going to have to incur the cost to fix that window, or my parents were going to have to incur the cost, or we both were going to incur the cost together to fix what was broken. And when it comes to forgiveness, when we think of it in terms of an economic perspective, the idea is that when someone is hurt, the idea is that that person who did the hurting or the person who hurt us, that person must incur the cost of revenge because they hurt us. But the reality is, is that when we are hurt or when we are betrayed or when someone does something that just completely brings us to our knees in pain or in suffering, we want them to incur a cost and we get to determine when it's enough. But we know that when someone has wronged us or done something to us, there is a sense that you have been violated that there is an injustice that was done and someone, that person, is going to have to pay. And as we talked a few weeks ago about getting revenge and the Christian perspective of how revenge isn't for us to, to give out or to hand out, but that revenge is something that we leave in the hands of God. If you haven't listened to that sermon, I know it's on our podcast, but I'll give you the, the spark notes or the cliff notes. Is that when we allow God to take revenge on our enemies... A lot of the time, God forgives them. And what ends up happening is we have a hard time forgiving, and we keep holding on to that resentment. We keep holding on to that anger where God says, I've already taken care of this. All you have to do is let go. Because when we don't forgive, it does more harm to us than it does to the person that we haven't forgiven for the most part. You know, when we have been wronged, we have an indelible sense that the perpetrators have incurred a debt that must be dealt with. So I have quotes throughout my, today there's going to be a, lot, a little bit more reading because the quotes that I've come across are just really, really, they get to the core of what I'm trying to say in, in ways that I, better than I can say them. There is no reference, so if you ask me for the reference, I have a database of quotes and things I collect, and for whatever reason on this forgiveness one, all I have is page numbers, but there's no book or author. So I just want to be intellectually honest and say this is not my own. This is something I've come across over the years, uh, but I couldn't find where that came from. But when you've been wrong, there is this indelible sense that the perpetrators have incurred a debt, and it must be dealt with. And when you come to this point in your life, there's a decision that you have to make because there's always two options when you have been wronged. Option number one is you can get revenge. And we've just mentioned how revenge isn't for us to meet out. and It isn't for us to decide what the appropriate level of retaliation is. Right? Another wrong will not right the wrong that was done to us. 
all it's going to do is put us into a cycle where each person is going to try to get back at each other time and time again. And it's what we call the lie of redemptive violence, where one act of violence will not end another act. It's only going to continue to perpetuate these acts of violence against each other. And if you get revenge, here's what may happen. You may become harder, colder, more self-pitying, and therefore more self-absorbed. Now, we know from the way of Jesus and what Jesus teaches us is that this is what we don't want to be. That when we repent of our ways, what we're saying is we're, we're trying to turn away from living as people who pity themselves, as people who are cold towards others, as people who are self-absorbed. You see, the path and the way of Jesus is that we live a life that empties ourselves of all of our wants and our desires And what we want to do is to give to others and to be like Jesus, how Jesus was for us and how we want to show people that we are like Jesus. And so when we seek to get revenge, what ends up happening is we become more self-absorbed. And when we become self-absorbed, we only look at ourselves and we don't keep our eyes on who Christ is and who Jesus is calling us to be. And so when you are faced with this, there is always a decision, will I seek revenge or will I seek forgiveness? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would venture to guess that for most of us, when we're wronged, when, we're, when someone does something that upsets us, when someone says things that are hurtful, our first response is not to say, well, I just want to have a forgiving heart and I just want to forgive them. Usually forgiveness is like two weeks away. Forgiveness is usually not the first answer, even though we know. All of the Bible verses that I'm going to give today, whether you've been in the church for a long time or even for a little bit, you will know these verses and you'll say, yeah, we know how to talk about forgiveness as Christians. We know that forgiveness is something we're supposed to do, but for our feelings to match our theology, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. So I want to give you some Bible verses that will help you to put into perspective why it's so important to forgive. And I think the, the sermon title this morning, instead of saying how to forgive, it really should have said why to forgive. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, and, and again, that word trespasses can mean if you forgive others when they've hurt you when they've gossiped about you, when they've done hurtful things, when they've gone behind your back and tried to undercut your authority, right? When they've spread rumors about you at work or to your family, right? So if you forgive others the wrongs that they've done towards you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, you know this text, and there's a second part that we'll get to in a moment. But you see, the reason why we forgive is because we begin with the central story of our faith that God forgives us. The central story of Christianity is that we, on our own works, could never be sinless. And it is only through God's grace that God is merciful and he forgives your worst sins. Your darkest moments don't define you. Your worst failures don't define your worth in the eyes of God. The things that bring you shame that you don't want people to know about, those things don't define you in the eyes of God. God sees you as one who has belief in Christ and your sins, your mistakes, all of that is washed away. So the reason we forgive isn't because the person who hurt us necessarily deserves it. 
The reason that we forgive is because we were forgiven first by Christ. And what's powerful about this passage, and remember, following the way of Jesus is not necessarily easy. Sometimes it can be very hard. Now, following the way of Jesus, it's, it's not heavy, but sometimes it's difficult. But God gives us the ability and the power to be able to do these hard things in our lives. Just look back in your own life and all the difficult times that you've had to go through, and yet you're here now, and in a sense, you're stronger than you were. Sure, there are some scars in our lives. Sure, as um, Brendan Manning would describe that, that even though we suffer in this world, God makes us more than conquerors, and we may walk with a limp, but we are still walking. And that's what happens in our lives. And Jesus says, if you forgive others their sins against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive your sins. And so there is a connection between how we interact with others and how God interacts with us. Forgiveness means refusing to make the other person pay for what they did. I want to say that one more time. Forgiveness means refusing to make the other person pay or incur the debt for what they did. And the question that I get all of the time, if I forgive them, isn't that going to tell them that what they did is not that big of a deal, that it was okay what they did, and then they're going to do it again and again and again? That's the question I get all the time. And I say, well, no, that's not necessarily true. Like, we forgive because we know that the more we hold on to the pain, the suffering, the anger, the grief, it's only going to make us, it's only going to hurt us. But when we forgive, we're saying we are releasing the pain, the suffering, the heaviness that this has done to me. I am releasing that, and I am forgiving them. Now, what this means for relationships is sometimes when you forgive someone, the relationship still ends. Sometimes when you forgive someone, it means the relationship, whatever it was, changes oftentimes. And it doesn't mean that you have to forgive and forget, but what it means is that we forgive and we let go, knowing full well that sometimes we'll still feel a little bit of that pain and the grief that comes with suffering, but we let it go, especially in the context of abusive relationships. And, I, and we say this all the time, Kara and I, whenever we're talking in relationships, it's like if you're in an abusive relationship, you, yes, forgive, but also you have to get yourself out of that situation, right? So we, it's, this is never a, you know, forgive and then put yourself back into the situation sometimes you do have to remove yourself from those places but we're talking about the general stuff that happens with our friends with our co-workers with our family we forgive because we have first been forgiven and we forgive because it's good for our health if you've ever held on to some pain and resentment i mean there are people who hold on to what their parents you know because they weren't super nice to them or mean to them or whatever it was and they're holding on to it for 40 50 60 years down the road and they haven't let go of that but that one moment that when they felt like they were betrayed or well they were hurt or they weren't loved enough like that then shapes every single other relationship they have for the rest of their lives all because we can't forgive very well and so i'm going to read there's like three slides and it's one whole quote but again I just want you to, I'm going to take our time through this because it's really powerful for how it reflects on forgiveness. It says, however, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You not only suffer the original loss of happiness, 
reputation and opportunity, but now you forego the consolation of inflicting the same on them. So when you forgive, it's already painful enough. Forgiveness also feels extremely painful. Isn't that true? Because we want to get even. We want to get back at people. We want to just make them feel the same pain that we did. But with this writer, and I think the writer of this is Timothy Keller, but I can't remember exactly. But what this writer is saying is like, yeah, that's, it hurts. And it hurts to forgive sometimes. But then what happens is it's freeing. And he goes on to say, you are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. And it hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, it is a death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong death of bitterness and cynicism. And if we've ever been hurt, and we all know, there's moments in our lives where we've been hurt and sometimes we like to hold on to the anger and the bitterness We like to hold on to the cynicism because we think it provides us some sort of safety, right? If you were hurt once, you assume everyone else is going to hurt you. So instead of being a Christ-like loving person, what ends up doing is we build these walls around us and we just throw, like we lob emotional bombs over the walls and we hurt everyone around us because we haven't learned the power and the freeing goodness of being able to forgive those who have hurt us. And I love this because he says, yeah, it feels like death. But we've said this here for eight and a half years. After death always comes resurrection in our narrative of faith. So even though this feels like death, there is resurrection that is coming. And he says, what's worse, feeling that but feeling that sense of, well, at least I'm renewed now. Or holding on to the bitter death, of, to the living death of bitterness and cynicism. You know, resentment is one of those things that we hold on to because we feel like it gives us the sense of that we can be mean to other people or we can be mean to that other person. And I know last week I quoted from Nelson Mandela, but Nelson Mandela says this, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. That's what happens when you don't forgive. That's what happens when you don't let go. That's what happens when we as followers of Jesus don't follow the path of Jesus. It's like we're drinking poison, hoping that our enemies will die. Because when we forgive, there is a grief. And if you've ever experienced grief of any kind, you know that, especially when it comes to the loss of a relationship, whether it's through death or through divorce or through breakup, There is this grief that surrounds us because now the future that you thought you had is no longer present. The plans you had for your future are dissolved. And your relationships change when you have to forgive sometimes. Oftentimes, though, when you forgive, it leads to reconciliation. In the context of relationships, when we forgive one another, it does lead us towards a deeper understanding of the other person. When we forgive each other, it helps us to lay a stronger foundation of trust and love. When we forgive others, even though it hurts for the moment, and when you forgive, even though it feels like you're losing the argument or losing the fight, it can lead to reconciliation and goodness and love redeemed. 
You see, we forgive because we were created to be creatures of connection. And that's why it's so hard when we are hurt because it breaks the connection that we were created to live within with each other. And forgiveness is hard and it's painful, but it can lead to beauty and goodness and the way of Jesus. And so the question which remains to be answered, as Ariana read to us, how many times should we forgive? Is there a limit that when we tell someone, okay, I'm going to forgive you this many times, but on the next time, no more forgiveness for you. And Jesus says, then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And if we remember the cultural context of the first century, the number seven from the Old Testament to the New Testament is always the number that reflects the, the completion and the perfection of God. All right, the creation narrative tells us that on, in six days God creates, and on the seventh day God does what? He rests, right? A seventh day Advent is this is built into the fabric of who we are. Seven is the number that we, when we see it, symbolizes the perfection and the completeness of God. So Peter, being one of the main, one of the main disciples, he, he's like one of those like, students that asks a question, but he's really just trying to give an answer. Have you ever been at a conference or, and there's an open mic and people get up and they'll, they'll talk, but there's no question, even though they're supposed to ask a question. Have we ever seen that? Yeah, that was Peter. So he asks a question, but then he says, what, seven times? Like that was the right answer. And Jesus said to him, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times or seven times seven, depending on your Bible translation. And it doesn't actually mean that you only forgive 77 times and on the 78th time, then that's when you can exact revenge. What Jesus was saying was like, take what you think you're supposed to do and then exponentially multiply it. Because if we think of ourselves and our own sin in our lives, God continues to forgive us. Last week, we said that if you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, what God sees isn't your sins and your worst moments, but what God sees is that Christ is in you and your sins continue to be forgiven. Because we're far from perfect, but God is in the work of forgiving us. He sets the plan and the pattern, and he forgives us because he wants to be reconciled to us. You know, it's, it, it, and it baffles us, okay, like, we can point to Bible verses in Scripture about God's love for us, but it still baffles our human minds. But all we know is that God, from the beginning of Scripture until the end of Scripture, it is a picture of a God who is continually rushing into our lives, trying to bridge the chasm that our sins have created, and He is redeeming and reconciling us on a daily basis because He is a God who wants to be in constant relationship with you. And if God can forgive us, he is asking us to follow that same pattern of forgiveness. So I just have three short, simple steps that might help you when you're thinking about forgiveness. Oh, well, here's the second part of that verse. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Here's the second part of it. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Like, is that scary? Because I could try to think in my life and think of people that I don't want to forgive. I don't know. That's not necessarily true. But, but there are times when we don't want to forgive. But I am continually reminded of this passage that says that if you do not forgive others, neither will you be forgiven. Like, think about the immensity 
and the weight of this text, that these are the words of Jesus, not my words, not some other writer. This is the words of Jesus. If you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. You see, we so often come to church and want a relationship with God, and we think it's just about God and us. But God says, like, yes, it is about us, and it starts with us, but this faith must go out into every and all direction around you. Your relationship with God must define how you live every single other relationship. And if you're still there not wanting to let go of things, not wanting forgiveness, not wanting to to extend forgiveness to people that have hurt you, then I think you need to just stop and ask, do I feel forgiven? Do I understand the love that God has for me? And then also ask, like, why do I keep holding on to this bitterness and this cynicism? Why do I keep building this wall of resentment? Why am I doing this? Because you'll know, you'll, if, you, if you start the process of forgiveness, you will see how freeing and liberating it is. So here's three easy steps to forgiveness. I'm not saying this is the one formula for everything. I'm just saying that this is what has helped me. Name it. Like, name the feeling. Like, name the fact that you have been hurt. You know, so-and-so, they said this about me. So-and-so has been saying this to, to people about me. This person at work did this. My husband did this. My wife did this. My parents, my children, right? Like, like you just have to know and be aware of why you're being hurt, like, why you're hurting, why you're suffering, why you're angry, why you're upset. Like, you have to name it. Like, you need to be aware of that because oftentimes we don't do a good job of being aware of things, and so we just know that we're mad at the world, but we don't know why. But the moment that we kind of dig deep, we begin to realize, like, oh, this is why because of this thing that happened 20 years ago. And it's really hard for us because to look back in our lives, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. And we don't like to be vulnerable because being vulnerable means that we're naked, Being vulnerable means that we have to kind of let our guard down and say, like, yeah, that thing really did bother me all that time ago, and I haven't let go of it. See, the only person that's hurting is you and the people you've hurt because of it. So you have to name it. Number two, you have to accept it. Can you change the past? No. It doesn't doesn't mean that it's okay that things happened. You just have to accept the fact that what happened happened. You know, we can wish that things were different. You can wish that those things didn't happen, especially in the context of like relationships, like romantic relationships. You can wish that things didn't happen, but you, you can't change the past. So you just have to accept that that thing happened, and then the next one is going to be the hardest part. And then you absorb it. Remember we said that sometimes forgiveness feels like death? When you incur the debt of the thing that happened... It is excruciatingly painful. And then to be able to talk well of those people feels like an agony. But when you absorb it and it feels like a death, remember we said that after death there is resurrection. The defining narrative of our faith as Christians is that an innocent man dies for the forgiveness of our sins, but then he is vindicated with resurrection. So I want to just finish with this last Bible passage. There's just so many of them, and it's just so hard to not, you know, do one or another. But I just want to go through this, Colossians chapter 3. We're just going to look at four verses. 
Now think of this in the context of everything we've discussed. As God's chosen ones, that means you who believe, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, I love Wally's, um, his prayer this morning where he says, like, in a world that is so divisive, like, help us not to give in to that. It's hard, right? Because we want to. And the world would teach us that to be kind and humble and meek and patient and compassionate, what does the world tell us about those? Those are, def- those are, those are characteristics of what? People who are weak, well, people are going to take advantage of you if you're compassionate and kind and humble. People are going to run all over you. Like, to which you should say, like, yeah, that's what I did to Jesus. That's what you're doing to Jesus. And yet Jesus still forgives us. But you see, these things, although the world will tell us that these are signs of weakness, they really are signs of true strength. To be compassionate is difficult, not just for the person that hurt you, but just in general. To be kind when it's hard, that humility in a world where we want to draw more attention to ourselves for how awesome we are on social media, to be humble? Come on, get out of here. We're trying to build a platform. You know, that's what people say. To be meek and patient. But you know what Scripture, when Scripture defines these characteristics as people who are children, sons and daughters of God. Because when we think of Jesus, we think of these things, and we love that, and we love that Jesus. But we feel like it's too weak for us in the 21st century. Paul continues to say, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together, in perfect harmony. You know, forgiveness is love in action. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I love the image, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, if Jesus fills our hearts, there is no space for anger. There is no space for resentment and bitterness and cynicism. And if you find yourself saying, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me, or you don't know, or you haven't lived my life, I would say, I, you're right, I haven't. But I've been through some suffering in my life. I made the mistake one time of saying, you know, I haven't really experienced much suffering in my life. Like eight years ago, I said that, ten years ago. And like the last ten years or eight years of my life have been like these ups and downs um, And it's like, God's like, okay, I'll show you some suffering. It'll make you a better preacher. (laughs) But if you're still holding on to stuff that's just dragging you down, then I would venture to guess that perhaps you're not filling yourself with Christ very well. Because if you truly understood who Jesus is, his love, his compassion, his kindness, his humility, his grace, if you really understood that, it really would change the way that we treat others and live. And so this entire sermon series has been about how do we fight like a Christian. And I'll apologize if you came here wanting to know some subversive ways to retaliate and get back at people because there's none. 
At least not in the New Testament. (laughs) But we're called to be a people of reconciliation, of love, of kindness, of forgiveness. I would love for our church to be known as a church where, like, people already feel like we're very warm. But sometimes for people who are here, things don't feel very warm. And I want us to continue to be a church that reconciles with each other and loves one another and is able to, as we preached last week, is able to confront one another in loving ways to say, hey, you hurt me. And then we, the other person can say, I didn't mean to, or I did mean to, but I'm sorry. Like, you know, like we have to learn to be honest and open and just say, like, we were called to be one body, one unit, one people. So whatever that means, and as hard as that might feel sometimes, we have to do this together. Not just in the church, but in your marriages, in your relationships, in your work relationships. Like, What would it look like if you were a person of forgiveness and reconciliation and love? You get better the more you do it. The more you do it, the more you exemplify Christ. The more you exemplify Christ, it's as though you are lifting him up. And that is how we share the love and the message of Jesus in a world that desperately needs it.